Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, thank you so much for your graciousness, your goodness, the way that you very carefully and purposely pour out your love upon us, your people. We have so much to be thankful for. And Lord, we we are very grateful for what you have done and what you are doing with us even now. Thank you, Lord, for giving us a period of time where we can worship you with freedom, with an open heart, with a passionate heart. And thank you, Lord, for allowing us to study your word in peace and safety and freedom. Lord, we present ourselves to you for your work, that deep work of your spirit, that we would not only be encouraged, but built up in our faith, in the knowledge of you. And that tonight, Lord, we would not only grow, but we would be challenged to go even further, even deeper with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's a small book, as you've noticed. In fact, in the early days when it was first circulated around, it was more than likely on one piece of parchment, one piece of paper, and all block capital letters known as the unicals or the unchals. And it would be passed around normally just like a letter would be to anyone uh, who would want to read it. The church began as a community. It didn't start out with steeples and nice praise worship. It was just a group of people who had been called together by God's Spirit. There was something new and exciting going on. And they began to meet and fellowship and spread the good news. And it was dynamic. What we have here is an extension or really an early record of how God would begin to build his community. In fact, uh, I've entitled this uh, message tonight, which will be the whole book, Lord willing, in the next few minutes, Characteristics of a Christian Community. I recently returned from a vacation. And I really enjoyed it. In fact, as much as I love you guys, it was kind of hard to come back. (laughs) But nowadays, we have so many cameras. I have cameras on my cell phone. I I can take video on my cell phone. We have a video camera. My wife has a camera. The kids have a camera. And so as we went on our vacation, it seemed like every moment we were stopping and posing for a picture or hang on just a second let me get a photo or we'll record this well as we came home and we looked through all of the photos and the video recording we realized there is a a tape or a record of our values of the things that we really like and the things that we don't like in fact you can tell that by a person's actions by the receipts in their billfold all the things that they've spent the food that they eat and the places that they go well the christian community in this little segment in this small little letter we have a a vision given to us by this elder the elder john of the values that we find in the christian community in fact these are very core values all right First of all, we notice in verse 1 that it is a community that values relationship. Let's look 
at the verse 1. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but also all those who have known the truth, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. First of all, you notice that there is a value in relationship. Here's the cast of characters or the relatives. First of all, we notice the elder. The elder John, as described here, in fact, he doesn't necessarily say his name, but because of the way that it is written, and it follows right on the heels of 1 John and the early writers, we know that more than likely the gentleman who is speaking here is the guy who wrote 1 John. He was an older, stately gentleman who served in the body of Christ. You have the elder. You also have the elect lady. Now, the phrase that is used here for this lady is simply that, electos lady, and it means just an elect woman. But scholars have been divided through the years as to who this was. Was it a person that was written to, or was it a community of believers or a church? If it's a person, it's interesting that her name is elect. I haven't heard many women by that name, but it could be because it speaks of her children. But I think it's better understood as a writing or an address to the community of faith. Keep your finger here and look with me at the Gospel of John chapter 3. Gospel of John chapter 3, John the Baptist speaking these words concerning Jesus are very telling. Look with me at verse 26. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice, and therefore his joy of mind is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. We see this picture and this idea of a bride and a bridegroom. Look further with me at Second Corinthians chapter 11. Second Corinthians chapter 11, Paul uses similar terminology. He says, Oh, that you would bear with me, in verse 1, in a little folly, and indeed you do bear with me. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. All right, looking just a little further, look with me at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 Verse 22, he says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ 
is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the word and that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle, but holy and without blemish. That's the idea here. And I believe that is the language that John is employing. He's saying here that this elect lady, this lady here, is speaking of the church itself. Because that is our relationship with Jesus Christ. He is the bridegroom and we are the bride that he will return for one day. All right, we see the elect lady. This is one of the relatives. But then notice also back in First John chapter, Second John chapter one, that he speaks about her children, the elect lady with her children. The body of Christ is filled with those who are born into the family. All of us here who have come to Christ and know Him would probably state this. You would say that I have been born again. That implies that you have experienced a brand new spiritual birth and you are now a child and a member of the body of Christ. He also mentioned another group of relatives here. He says, all those who have known the truth, the relatives of children and family are all of those that we know probably he had a relationship with. Children come in all different sizes. You have young little babies. And you have those who are growing up as teenagers. And then you have adult children. My mom is 83 years old and I call her up uh, weekly and she calls me son. And it's interesting to think of myself as a 41-year-old man, as Sonny. But yet, still to her, I'm her son. There's varying ranges of, of children. There's close relationships. But then there are all of those who go beyond, all of those who love the truth with us. But they're probably people that you couldn't name by name. They're people that you don't know directly. But they have the same faith as you and I. And they live in the same realm of truth that we do. They're a cast of character. They're a member of the family. They're relatives. But in verse 3, we see two very important characters, two very important relatives in this family, two important relationships. He says, grace, mercy, and peace be with all of you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have a bride an elect lady, we have children, we have all of those who believe in the truth, and then we have the Father. It's interesting that he uses this terminology. It's, it's something that we relate to because of the family structure and the way that God set it up. But the Father, he is self-titled. This is the title that he has given himself. He is the Father of all. But it's important to us in relationship to note this, that speaking in relationship with the Father He states primarily that he is the progenitor and the originator of all. He is the one who started all of this family. He is the one who began it all. And he is the one that lays claim to all of the effects upon this group of people, period. He's the one who started it. Then he mentions Jesus Christ, the son. 
Jesus being named as the Son, now we know him as Lord, right? Those of us, we praise him, we worship him, we know through the New Testament that he is God incarnate, he's come in the flesh, he died for our sins, we now have a relationship with him, he's given us his spirit, but he stands officially in relationship familiarly as Son, as heir of all things, in relationship to the Father. He is, as we are told in Colossians, the firstborn. And because of this, he is, in fact, the bridegroom. So, let's go through the cast again. You have the bride. You have her children. You have all of those who believe in the faith. You have the Father who started it all. And you have the Son who is now the bridegroom. There's one more person that I want to focus on, and that is the elder. We mentioned him briefly because we know who he is. He's John. We know that he had a close relationship with the Lord. But the elder is the one that the Lord chose, the Holy Spirit chose, to give these values to the church. I want to, I've said this before, but I want to pause here for a moment and point out the importance of the elders among us. The word that is used here for elder is presbyteros. It doesn't mean that he was Presbyterian. It has nothing to do with his religious affiliation. What it means is that he was someone who was recognized in the community of faith, in the the circuit and the family of believers, as one who was not only older... Because typically the wisest people are the oldest people. That's just how it kind of works out. The years have a way of adding up knowledge and wisdom and centering it on a person with whiter hair or less hair. Right? I'm not included in that. We won't know if I have white hair. Now, here's the point I want to make. God is using a man who came to him as a, as a young, feisty person who had gone through experience after experience with the Lord personally and then with the Holy Spirit and has seen this movement and this community grow. And God uses him to give the values to the community. Those of you who have been around for a while, those of you who have walked with the Lord for a number of years, You look up here and you see all of these young people and you see all that they're doing and you think, well, isn't that great? You know, I've done, I I wish I would have followed the Lord back in the day or I did follow the Lord back then and I remember all the great things that I did, but now I'm getting older and and I'm sort of turning the, the, passing the baton, turning over to someone else all the responsibility he had and I'm just going to sit back and watch because really what can I do? If that is your frame of reference, that is your way of thinking about yourself, you've missed it completely. In the Christian community, our value of those who are elders and those who have been around longer should be higher and greater as you go. In fact, as you move along in your life, you should be progressing so much that your sphere of influence and the people that you know and the, the way that you impact the world is greater than when you began. Did you ever think about that? 
We value youth so much in, our, in this world. But in the body of Christ, God uses those who have been around, who've seen it all, have studied his word, and now stand in maturity and are able to lead and give wisdom to an up-and-coming generation. And so I say that to you, those of you who your hair is starting to turn and you start to see a few more wrinkles on your face, you also have more wrinkles in your brain. Now, here's the flip side. Those of you who are young, I don't know if I'm young or old. It depends on who you talk to. So I may be included in this. I may be excluded in this. But I know this. In your younger years, you have a tendency to know it all. In fact, my mom, in fact, when I was probably... 18, 19 years old, all of the advice she gave me constantly drilled into me and all the the older people that I knew at my church, I just thought, you are so out of it. You don't understand anything. You don't have any knowledge. You wear the wrong clothes. You don't, come on, how can I trust you? The older I get, I realize that they were brilliant. And I know that it's a very common observation. But those of you who are young, I would encourage you right now to attach yourself somewhere to an older believer who's walked years before you. In fact, I had the foresight to do this with men who had followed Christ before me. And I tell you the greatest lessons that I've learned, I've learned sitting around with coffee and listening to those give me advice because they've been further down the road than I have myself. It's also a place of blessing for those of you who are younger. If you reject the wisdom of the elders around you, you reject God's blessing in your life. It's the the only way that I can present it to you. If you reject that, it's not like you're going to get any smarter on your own. If you reject those that God has placed in your life as influence and who will help guide you along, you cut yourself off from a great source of truth. All right. Here's the values that the elder delivers. First of all, in verse 1, we see the value of love. Now, we know that John, the aged apostle, hammered on this note constantly all the way through 1 John, all the way through the Gospel of John. In fact, he's known for his love. In fact, some of the early writers, and we've mentioned this before, state about him that as he got too old and was unable to go to the church and to the meetings with everyone, he would sort of stand up and say, Brethren, children, tell them this, love one another, for this is the commandment of our Lord. This became his one salient truth that he spread. Love in a community of relationship can be summed up simply in acceptance. Love is active. Love is involved. Love rebukes. It's all of these things. But the primary core value in this is that love continually accepts those in the family. You know, uh, I have people in my family that are all, they're all pretty great. I'm, I think I'm the weird one in the family. Usually in every family, you've got that one person, you know. I think I'm that person in my family. But you have that one person that you, you look around and you say, where did they come from? Are they a part of our family? Did, they did, were they raised by the same parents? But 
they're your family. And so they may be harder to love, but yet the love is right there. And the core value is I accept you. You're a member of the family and I continually work with you. He mentioned secondly is love in truth in verse one. Truth is a very high value in relationship, in community. Truth can be summed up simply as in a relationship as honesty. It's not brutal honesty that seeks to harm or to maim someone, but it's honesty that builds up and edifies and builds trust. I don't know about you, but I think it's hard for me to develop relationships, close relationships with people when I don't feel that they're necessarily honest with me. Like you'll wear your worst clothes that day, you won't brush your teeth, you won't shave, and put on wrinkled clothes, and you walk in and say, how do I look today? Oh, you look great. (laughs) Oh, okay. Well, good. Uh, I wonder about your honesty there. But there's something even more telling about this. The truth that is spoken of here is a trust or a characteristic that is very unique to the church. All truth, as has been stated before, is God's truth. And let me give you an example. Someone says, well, your body needs water to survive. Okay, good. Well, nothing you'll read in the Bible will actually contradict that truth. But it's not necessarily the truth or the trust or this idea that is presented to the church. There is this unique trust and belief and ideology that has been given to the church. In fact, it's been called the faith or the truth. And it is delivered to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Look with me at verse uh, 2 here. He says, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. It is relationally an honesty, but yet it's also an abiding truth that remains within us constantly. All right, look with me down at verse 3. He says three other things. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you. The three words that are mentioned here in Greek are charis, eleos, and irene. Charis is grace. And these three things, it tells us, are from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the Father from heaven. These were the things that originated from God toward us. Grace, mercy, and peace. Grace from God is simply this, favor or goodwill. We didn't earn any of it. We didn't, at many points, desire any of it. We were just simply going along in our life, away from God, apart from the Lord, and He reached down with His love and began to spark an interest in himself. And that is a measure of his grace toward us, his goodwill, his favor. It was something we didn't deserve. Mercy is compassion and pity. Mercy is, is really going to someone who deserves a lot of punishment and saying to that person, you're forgiven. Your sins have been washed away. And then finally, there's peace, which is simply harmony. Harmony with God, harmony with ourselves, and harmony with others. This was first delivered to us from the Lord, but it becomes for us another 
piece of the picture when it comes to our values. Not only because God has given it to us, now we in turn and extend grace, mercy, and peace, and work in the realm of love and truth to those in the body of Christ. All right. It's not only a community that values relationship, but look with me in verse 4. It is a community that rejoices. Verse 4 says, I rejoiced greatly that I have found some of your children walking in the truth as we received commandments from the Father. The word here for rejoice is Cairo. And it gives a little adverb right beforehand. It is called uh, Leon, which means greatly or exceedingly. A part of the Christian community is this unique joy and rejoicing that follows in the life of the believer. It's a community that rejoices, but it's a community that rejoices about the right things. Notice the things that we rejoice about. We rejoice in verse 4 in others following Jesus. Notice the phrase here, walking in the truth. We've mentioned it before, but it's worth mentioning again. The word that is used here for walking is peripateo. And it means the manner or lifestyle in which you live. He says, it's good and I rejoice to see that there are those walking and living in a manner of lifestyle that is bathed or abiding in the truth. Really, it's a life that is living and loving and serving Jesus Christ, period. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When we, as believers, see other people around us following the Lord, doing His will, living in relationship with Him, it should create in us a great joy and excitement because we see the life of God living in not only ourselves, but in other people. And there's a sense of joy and and a great exuberance in that process because we see those who were once in darkness now changed and brought into the family of light. And it's amazing and beautiful. It's a value that we have. We rejoice because others are following Christ. You know, you can tell a lot about a person about the things that make them happy or the things that they rejoice about. You know, it should never be said for the believer or for any of us in the community of faith that we would rejoice over another's folly or someone falling into sin or evil. We would never rejoice over ill will or wickedness. We rejoice in those growing in truth. But there's a second value in our rejoicing. And notice it in verse 5 and 6. He said, Now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment that you have heard from the beginning. You should walk in it. We not only rejoice in people serving the Lord and seeing that, But we also rejoice in obeying God's commands. We rejoice in obedience and following the Lord. You know, a command is a call to action. A command is never a suggestion to anyone. And it only gives us what I would say three options when you hear a command. Your first option is to ignore. 
But actually, it's not a real option. It's second to something else, which is to reject. And then thirdly, to obey. Because if you ignore the command, you're actually rejecting the command. The only real option, if you call him Lord, and many of us do here tonight, we call him Lord, Master, Creator of the universe, I am your servant, I will serve you forever. The only option that we have when a command comes is, yes, sir. But we are told in Scripture that his commands are not grievous. That is, they're not hard for us. Because he's telling us, and as he's told us before in 1 John, and he reiterates in this little letter here, is that the command is to love one another. The command is to walk in this light and to live in the knowledge of this. And for us, it should be simple as apple pie. Now, I don't think making apple pie, I don't know where that came from. I don't think making apple pie may be that simple, but it's simple to eat. Right. But rejoicing and obeying should be the lifestyle of the believer, and it is the lifestyle that actually brings freedom in this world. It brings real freedom in a life where you're constantly tempted to do your own thing. You're constantly, you watch the advertisements on television and those around you living a worldly life to just do your own thing, man. But yet there's no freedom. There's no joy. But there's real rejoicing and freedom in obeying with, with great openness and readiness of heart the commands of our great God. All right. It's not only a community that values relationships and rejoices, but it's a community that also rejects, maybe to your surprise. Look with me at verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. When love embraces, it also rejects. You know, I think I've married uh, 37 couples thus far in my short career as a pastor. And uh, I was going to use an illustration tonight, and I remembered that I'm missing my wedding ring. I set it on the the counter near the sink, and I haven't seen it since. I have to go get a new one. But when we marry a couple, there are the vows that are exchanged. They're very stable. They're, uh, They're vows that have been in history for a number of years in the English language. But they always involve something like love, cherish, respect, and forsaking all others. You know, that ring that goes around the finger is a sign to yourself and it's a sign with the person that you marry that there is a covenant between the two of you that your love is between the two of you and with the Lord and you have a covenant with each other. But it's also a sign to everybody else that stay away. I'm done. You, there's, the door isn't opened. I'm not available. In fact, I have given my love romantically, exclusively in a marriage vow relationship with this person right here and all others are put away. When love embraces, it also has an element of rejection. Well, this is what we reject. 
We reject in this verse, verse 7, deceivers and antichrists. Deceivers are those who go among the flock, who want to take advantage of the particular environment in the body of Christ. In fact, it's a good place if you want to be a deceiver because we're called as believers to be open, loving. Love believes all things, hopes all things. We're very charitable. We want to help a person out. But for those who don't see the real value in Christ in this community, it looks as a place of opportunity, not only to deceive, but a place to gain advantage. John in 1 John warns us about these folks. He said they went out from us because they were not of us. And it was manifested because they went out. But he also gives them another title. And that is the title of Antichrist. And we don't have time to get into the, all the uh, theological understanding of the word Antichrist. But simply to say, uh, once again, is that anti not only means against, but it also means instead of. So you'll have these deceivers and false Christ and those who, who will oppose Jesus himself rising up in the community of faith. And as we love and accept those in the family, we also reject those who become malignant and malign and bring damage to the body of Christ. Now, what is their problem and why do we reject them? First of all, in verse 7, it says that they do not confess Jesus in the flesh. This was a big problem with the Gnostics. Some would say that Jesus came as a spirit, a phantom. It was a vision, but he really wasn't uh, a real human. Or it was the spirit of the Christ who came upon Jesus when he was baptized and left him on the cross. And so there was all of these false theology, false doctrines floating around and causing damage in the church. They didn't confess Jesus in the flesh. But in verse 9, notice this. It says that, he says, whoever transgress and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. The phrase that is used here, it's it's kind of a poor translation in this version. But in the NASB, it states it this way. He says, those who have gone too far or they go too far or they go beyond the limits of sound doctrine. They transgress or go beyond what should be taught here. So they don't confess that Jesus comes into the flesh. They go too far and they do not abide in the didache or the teaching or understanding of Jesus Christ. And you say, well, does it really matter? I mean, as long as somebody has a belief in God, what does it really matter? Well, let me ask you this. Those of you who've had your cholesterol checked recently, does it matter what you eat? Does your doctor care what your diet is? Well, of course he does or she does. They care very much. You need to be eating the right things. You need to have the right exercise and you need to take care of your body. But... Does it matter? Let me ask you again. Does it matter if you are ill, if the doctor gives you the wrong medicine? Well, you say, of course it does. In fact, if you take the wrong medicine, sometimes it could be poison and it could kill you. When it comes to eternal issues, such as where will I spend eternity, either in heaven, in forgiveness and love and acceptance before the very presence of God for eternity, or in hell, rejected from God, those issues matter greatly. 
And because of the seriousness of the issue, we are called upon by the Lord, by the Holy Spirit to say, we reject those who would deceive and mar and move away and not abide, as it says in verse 9, in the teaching and understanding and doctrine of Jesus Christ, period. It may be a tough pill to swallow, but it actually brings health to the body. Um, Look with me quickly. Keep your finger here. And look in Galatians chapter 1. Here, I think, are some of the strongest words from the Apostle Paul. Look in verse 6. He says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you into the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than which we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than which you have received, let him be accursed. The word that is used here is anathema which means to be twice cursed, eternally damned. Is that if anybody will come to you and preach something other than what you had received, that seminal, beginning, simple doctrine of faith in Jesus Christ, let him be accursed because they wreak such havoc on humanity. It also not only rejects, but it embraces all right, how, does, how do we reject? Look in verse 10 and 11. He tells us here. He said, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, he says, first of all, do not receive him into your house nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deed. In the Greek, there are various phrases and inflections given. And this is an imperative, which is a command. And he strongly states right here in this verse, do not receive or take him into yourself. Why? Because you are sharing or taking part in their evil works. Uh, It is the word that is loosely related to fellowship in the Greek. You will have fellowship and relationship and give credence to the damning work of evil from a deceiver or an antichrist. How does this work practically? It's very simple. If someone is promulgating and preaching a doctrine that will lead people away from the truth, from Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that you need to be a little nitpicker and go around and make sure that you pull out uh, your... uh, correct doctrine of truth and and make everyone stand according to your belief and understanding of scripture but the salient truth about jesus christ about how a person is saved and who jesus is let me tell you if a person is following a road that is destructive and you warn them and you correct them with scripture and they refuse to listen to you Don't give credence to their false doctrine by lending your support and relationship to them. Why? Because other people around you will say, well, you must think this guy's okay because you spend time with him. Uh, you, You have fellowship with him. Therefore, the words that he speaks must be good as well. 
This doesn't have strong application to every other church in the world. In fact, most evangelical churches are just so right on. And there may be a different belief about what kind of songs we should sing or how we should worship, if we should have some incense or not. Uh, And we should have a lot of grace and mercy and latitude in the body of Christ. But there are certain sects of cults and those who have deviated from orthodoxy or right teaching who should be rejected. We do so in love. We treat them in the sense of unbelievers that we will preach the gospel to them. But we need to stand firm because the health of the body and the health of a non-believing world depends upon it. All right. So what do we embrace? He says in verse 8, he tells us the things to reject. But in verse 8, he tells us the things to embrace. He says, look with me. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we worked for but that we may receive a full reward. The phrase here that is used is very strong. It's it's from the word blepo or blepite, which he says, you yourselves take watch to what you're doing. Watch out for the way that you're living. Take close observation to what you believe and to what you do. He says, because you do not want to lose your reward. In fact, the word that is used here would be better translated, have it destroyed before you can actually take possession of that. You and I are building treasure. I don't know if you know that. But we're building treasure in heaven. We're building treasure and influence and a life in this world that is building momentum. Every day, every year that you follow Christ and you grow, you are building momentum in relationship not only with Him, but in relationship to this world. And you're building treasures in heaven. He says, watch yourselves so that you're not so carelessly moving along and then you lose much of the ground that you've attained. How do you lose that ground? By following false teachers, leaving the truth, and from falling away and sinning, not keeping a close watch on your life. All right. Well, we have a community that values relationship, a community that rejoices, a community that rejects. But let's wrap all of this up in noticing in verse 12 and 13, it's a community that is reciprocal in love. He says, having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak to you face to face that our joy may be full. The children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. Love always seeks a face to kiss and a neck to hug. I had probably the sweetest grandma in the world. They had a farm out in Texas, and we had always take a long way to drive to their house. We'd usually show up at their house about 9 o'clock at night, and I can always remember as a kid pulling into the driveway and hear the little crackling sound of the gravel in the driveway, hear the roll down the window and smell the sweetness of the air and and all of the, the great aroma of the farm. And then I would hear the front door swing open and this big Irish gal, Mama, 
would say, get in here, you kids, right now, because I'm going to hug you and kiss you. And she was a hearty farming woman, and she would just grab you, and you would just get lost in, in all of her, who she was. And she would look at you, and she'd make sure that she put plenty of lipstick on and give us the biggest kiss and the biggest hug. And she said, oh, I just want to hug your neck. Ooh, I wish she was around right now. As a kid, I mean, what's a great vitamin? That is love in the body of Christ. It's not just a steeple. It's not just stained glass. It's not just a worship service. It is this real relationship that says, I hope to see you soon because I love your face and I want to be with you. And there is that reciprocation that, that comes that says, I also want to be with you as well. There is this natural relationship that is so telling and so a part of the church. It's not one-sided. There's always give and take. Well, I'll close with a little story about myself. I can get hot-headed. That's why I've burned off all the hair on my head. <laughs> but this last week, I had a communication with a brother, and I, I got upset. And so I fired back uh, a note to this person, and in my flesh, I'm capable of such things, of just firing back and starting a fight. Well, I thought about it, and I thought about it, and I thought about it. And then I got convicted about it. And my response was, I need to call this person and apologize and ask for forgiveness because this is not right. This person is a great brother, a dear person in the Lord. And so I called on the phone. And of course, the great response in the body of Christ, which is always usually happens with those who are mature, is, well, okay, Good. I will forgive you. I won't mention it, but I I know you're a dork, and I know that's why you said those things. But I do love you. That was very warming to my heart. But in my mind, I was thinking, I can't wait until I actually see the person, because I want to see them face to face. Real love expresses itself face to face. That's just the community of the believers. Let's pray. Father, thank you for another challenge and truth from your word. Lord, I pray that each one of us takes away tonight what you want us to know. Lord, we're very thankful for your continued work in our lives. And we pray, Lord, that nothing would hinder that. And so, Lord, as we prepare for a final song and moving back out into the community, going to our homes. I pray, Lord, that you would convict us right now of what you want changed in our hearts. Maybe it's an idea or something or a relationship that we've held on to, but, Lord, we don't want to hang on to anything that would harm us or harm the body of Christ. So do that work in us. And, Lord, we pray that you give us the grace to repent and to remove every obstacle in us now. We want to be a community that is full of love, honesty, grace, mercy, and peace. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.